0: This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Young Turks, The David Pacman Show, The Progressive, Comedian Lee Camp, Howdyland.com, The Tom Hartman Program, and The Majority Report. And a note for our more sensitive listeners, this episode may be found offensive by the type of religious fundamentalists
1: who find everything offensive. Public Policy Polling did a very interesting poll asking uh, Republicans uh, fascinating questions. In fact, Republicans and Democrats about ghosts, demons, etc. There's no way that this poll isn't going to be depressing. So, uh, let's have at it already. What percentage of registered Republicans believe in demonic possession? Well, that would only be 68%. Oh, for Christ's sake. Or, yeah, I guess that would be literal. <laughs> demonic possession! You serious? Demonic possession. As in Beelzebub. 68% of registered Republicans cuckoo for Cocoa Pops. Demonic possession. Now, come on. The number for proven climate change that 98% of the world's scientists agree with. That's got to be higher, right? You can see where this is going. Lower, lower. 48% of self-identified Republicans believe in climate change. 68% believe in demonic possession. But, don't get too smug about it being just Republicans. When you ask overall voters, 37% believe in ghosts. Awesome. And 57% believe in demonic possession. Which is, by the way, also fascinating, because somehow demons are beating ghosts pretty handily. Look, I know people have superstitions and I know a lot of people believe in ghosts and and spirits and et cetera, et cetera, right? But 37% is an awfully high number to literally believe in ghosts. But, okay, I get that. (laughs) But why is the demons kicking their ass at 57% for the overall country? And God, how depressing is that for our country? That 57% believe in something that can't possibly be true. It's like saying... Well, you know, that guy was uh, possessed by uh, Odin, but the other one was possessed by Thor. But, oh, my God, when Loki got in that other guy, we had to do an exorcism. Okay, I know, I know. People will be offended, and they believe in religion, and I guess this is part of religion. But to the rest of us, it looks like cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs.
2: An eagle, talent towel, scream
3: Here's some video that was sent to me a couple of times in the last week. I know it's not a new video. The video itself was released about a year ago, and the, the subject matter of the video is actually way older than that, I think about 14, 15 years old at this point. Because we've had so many discussions lately on the show about exorcisms, and specifically gay exorcisms, including the former Navy chaplain Gordon Klingenschmitt, who claims to have performed a number of gay exorcisms with about a 50% success rate. I thought we would take a look at this. This is incredible. This is Bob Larson, a supposed exorcist, exorcising a gay demon from a man, apparently, who is, uh, I don't know, he know—he—he he has some kind of... He believes that he needs to have homosexuality removed, or he's been having temptations. Now, to give you a little bit of background here on Bob Larson, he's been on Oprah, Larry King Live, Anderson Cooper, and uh, he has this show which apparently is going to be it's not clear whether this uh, exorcism related reality show has been cancelled or not there's a lot of questions about whether it's even happening I think it it may be cancelled he is a self-proclaimed foremost expert on cults the occult and supernatural phenomena so certainly appealing to Lewis apparently since Lewis believes in a lot of that stuff would you not say I would not say okay let's take a look here it is ladies and gentlemen exercising gay demons is this an act, out or To Christ,
4: confess to Christ. I have committed homosexual acts. I have committed homosexual acts. God has forgiven me. God has forgiven me. You heard what he said.
5: Did you hear what he said?
3: Yes, I heard what he said. Now the demon is back.
6: Doesn't make any difference what he says, does it? No. He's mine. He's been mine for years. And I'm gonna hold on to him! You'll never get him! Never!
3: So apparently, demons using modern English, including uh, I'm gonna hold on to him. It's interesting the language that a lot of these demons are able to use. It seems to transcend time.
7: Yes, indeed.
3: Let's continue.
2: Right.
5: Spirit of anger! Spirit of anger, come up! Come up! Come up in the name
3: of Jesus! I like how people in the crowd are holding their hands up. <laughs> <laughs> Do you
5: have any right to be there? Uh. Do you have any right to be there? Uh. Do you? Uh. Do you?
3: No! All right, so now let's skip ahead to another key part. This is apparently when, uh, I don't know, This maybe the demons leave now. I'm not sure. Let's take a look.
6: Ah, uh, uh, I lose him
5: I lose him uh, From the curse, the curse Of homosexuality uh, Of homosexuality no homosexuality And all sexual perversion And all sexual perversion uh, I lie not no. I lie not uh,
6: I lie not uh, I lie not, uh, I lie not. Uh, I lie not. Uh, Say it I
2: lie not
6: To the Holy Spirit Ah. Uh,
2: Okay, so
3: some of these homosexual demons very, very stubborn. Apparently, really requiring a long exorcism. You know, I got an email from um, uh, some of our gay audience saying, "You know what? There's no way this guy's gay. He's too poorly dressed. There's just I just don't buy it at all."
7: This is. I think this is an act.
3: <laughs> I, I think it probably is too. I mean, the, here's, there's two ways to think about this. The the homosexual infected by demons here is either so convinced that this is legitimate, that he is taking on, that, that he actually believes that this is something outside of himself, or he is just playing along here and it's a complete act? You think it's just, just an act, the guy's an actor?
7: I think it's an act. I don't know if, if the whole thing is an act, but I'm pretty confident that there is an act going on between the the person performing the exorcism and the, uh, the possessed man, if you will.
3: Natan, what do you think? Um, I think with Philip Seymour Hoffman and Daniel Day-Lewis, it could have been a really good scene. <laughs> Supposedly, uh, yeah, that, that's that's a whole other issue. So so you also think that it's uh, that it's an act? Uh, it, it appears to be, yeah. You think the guy got paid? Hopefully. Hmm. I, yeah, I know, at this point. Imagine if the guy's doing this for free and now it's so on the certainly
7: don't think he deserves an Oscar or anything like that, but uh, some compensation, some fiscal compensation would be nice. It's crazy, I
2: know, but my faith says so.
8: I suppose in America, you can't get any more sacred than Texas football or any more exalted than Texas cheerleaders. So when my friends at the Freedom From Religion Foundation in Madison took both on recently, they created quite a stir. The case, and you may have heard about it, concerns the cheerleaders in Koontz, Texas, who before their public school's football games, would hold up banners with Bible verses and references to God. Here's one example. Thanks be to God, which gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. A local Texas resident was deeply offended by this and contacted the Freedom From Religion Foundation, which, in turn, contacted the school board and explained that there's a little something called the separation of church and state in this country and that the courts have ruled that school districts can't promote a specific religion in class or in its events. So the school board did the right thing and told the cheerleaders that they couldn't strut their religion in people's faces. But now the demagogues have taken over. Texas Attorney General Greg Abbott and Governor Rick Perry, you remember him, have sided with the cheerleaders and wrapped themselves in scripture and have gone into court to overturn the school district's decision. They'll lose ultimately, but they just couldn't resist a cheap political stunt. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it.
9: Rachel Evans wanted to see what it would be like to live as a biblical woman. Now, she is an evangelical individual. However, she realized, "Look, I'm not following all the rules in the Bible." So, she decided to live as a biblical woman for a year just to see what it's like, and then she wrote a book about it. Now, uh she talks about this in the next video. She talks about all the different things that she gave up in the process of this experiment. Let's take a look.
10: Taking a page from the book of Numbers, she took her first crack at making challah bread.
4: Oh, great job, hon.
9: Following
10: Proverbs, she learned to sew. This is hard. And made a few wardrobe changes. Deuteronomy 22 says that the Lord detests a woman who wears man's clothing. So to be on the safe side, you probably want to stick with flowing skirts like these. Then there's motherhood. Genesis says be fruitful and multiply. Rachel doesn't have kids, so she bought this little guy. The bottle doesn't work. The diaper doesn't work. From Leviticus, rules for that time of the month. No touching any men, especially your husband. That means no hugs, no handshakes, no high-fives, and obviously no sex. In fact, you may want to remove yourself from the household entirely. For my year of biblical womanhood, I camped out in a tent during my period.
2: Yeah, all
1: right. Now there's a woman that makes sense. You know, because if there's one thing an all-powerful deity detests this woman who dressed like men (laughs) because he's really into fashion watches bravo all the time and Uh thinks my god if a woman's got pants on nothing makes him more angry sometimes genocide but more times the detesting of the wearing of the pants okay now i love what she did because it points out the absurdity of it now she's not trying to point it out she's evangelical she thinks that hey look you know we take this stuff a little too literally so Uh she is going in that direction she's receiving some heat for that mm-hmm. and and but but she's not agnostic like us she's not trying to make fun of it she's just saying hey you know what that might be from a different era right? right. And, and she at least lived it for a whole year which is amazing to me right so and i like what she did
9: yeah and she goes even further let's watch the next video uh, and then we'll talk about it a little more finally
10: some stranger deeds there's a verse in proverbs that says it's better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a contentious woman i made a swearing jar of sorts each time i caught myself in a habit of contention i had to put a penny in the jar and each penny represented one minute i had to spend on my rooftop doing penance
0: what do you think our neighbors are going to think
10: Proverbs thirty one twenty three says that a virtuous woman's husband is praised at the city gate. I made a sign, took it out to the entrance of my town, and praised my husband the right way.
1: That's right. Dan is awesome. Okay. You know what? This husband's getting a pretty good deal. And and at different times she called him master.
2: Yeah. That's
1: apparently that.
4: also in the Bible. Um I don't know. It seems to me like his wife is dressing in incredibly frumpy clothing and he has to eat really horrible challah bread. <laughs> <Like crazy. laughs> she's just figuring out how to make. You mm-hmm. so. got a
1: sign. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hear you on that. Uh, and he said the master thing proved to be a little awkward. Yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. And he said because a lot of people in town don't know what she's referring to and they thought maybe we are playing some games. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Which are non-evangelical games. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm.
9: <laughs> yeah. So... I'm actually surprised that her year-long experiment didn't make her lose her religion, mm-hmm. right? Because I feel like if I were to read the entire Bible and I would live as a biblical woman, I would realize just how ridiculous it is, and then I would just let the whole thing go.
1: Yeah, but, I wonder if she didn't eat shrimp and, crab and stuff. I know I'm obsessed with that yeah, verse, but yeah. it just shows the absurdity of it. I wonder if her... Uh, that's oh, she doesn't have kids. But if that fake kid had cursed at her, if he, she would have executed that doll. Okay, because that's in the Bible, too. And I don't mean to make I mean, it nobody too. Li-
6: one, I mean, it's a, nobody lives like that. No believers mm-hmm. live that way.
1: It's and that's exactly her point, but that's why Anna's point mm-hmm. is an interesting one. So then at the end of it, since you're right about that, why not realize, hey, maybe the whole thing's not exactly true.
9: Right. I mean, the cherry-picking, and it's not just evangelicals. I mean, it's all religions. They cherry-pick what they practice and what they don't Definitely. practice. And I think that that's the part that I don't really understand, because if you consider yourself a devout evangelical, then wouldn't you follow all of the rules in the Bible?
1: But you can't. It's impossible. Exactly. Like, even she did the lighter ones. She didn't do all the ones that I mentioned. She didn't kill a goat and sprinkle its Blood in the corners of the temple. Mm-hmm. She, I mean, would love to see NBC run that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, uh, and,
1: and you're absolutely right that it's of course not just evangelicals, not just Christians. My favorite thing in the world is, is Turks who are very serious about this. So they're they're trying to follow the Quran, kind of. So now they're supposed to fast during. Ramadan, right? And they're not supposed to drink, period, because good Muslims do not drink alcohol. Except they're Turks. They love to drink, right? So they drink throughout the year. Ah, fasting is kind of a pain in the ass. So the 30 days they're supposed to fast when, it's, when the sun is up. They, that's they don't they, really fast. Most just, of them don't. They just don't drink. They don't drink in that month. And, but that, if they just left it at that and like, hey, I'm doing my best, right? right? I gave up drinking for a month. What more do you want from me? I'm a Turk, right? It'd be fine. But here's the fun part. They get really mad at you if you don't follow that made-up rule that's not in the Quran. <laughs> okay, <laughs>
3: not drinking during yeah, Ramadan.
1: like if they see you drinking during Ramadan, they're like, <clears throat> "Have you no respect for Allah?"
2: <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> no, but
1: wait—that's you made that up. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. But they really believe it, mm-hmm. and and that goes to exactly her point and your point, Anna, which is that, and and actually this has been a point that Ben has made for years on the show, which is they don't really—they look at it and they go, ah. I want to be a good person. Right. Right? And so let me pick the ones that I, th- that I like, that are generally, like, makes me a good person, and let me try to, fo- try to follow those. Right? And sometimes some of the hateful ones slip in, and then you get the anti-gay stuff, and yada, yada. But, right, but, but generally, but that's how most people live.
6: Rejoice. Rejoice, God's here's our statues. We're scared of change. We're frightened by the idea that we could wake up tomorrow and things might be different. We've tried to defeat the unpredictability of life in many ways. We created various religions so we could have our unchanging God and unchanging rules. And some religions went further by creating magic underwear and magic crackers and the such. But then still went down. So how do we explain that? Well, God got cranky. The dude who was tasked with keeping everything the same forever got bored or upset or looked the other way for just a second, and I'll be damned if didn't go haywire. Well, let's pray harder this time and strap our magic clothing, our robes and crosses, yarmulkes and underwear on tighter this time. Maybe God flipped out because my God piece left some wiggle room. And what about those written-in-stone, unchanging, holy rules? Well, it turns out there's a lot of ways to just look at them a little differently. You know, you you squint a little bit, and God was all for your megachurch's decision to hate gay people and buy the pastor a Mercedes. See, what happened was that that, in that passage that says rich people can't get into heaven, God uh, hit the wrong Button a uh, key on the heavenly typewriter. He hit an R instead of a B because he's got he's got big fingers. God's got big fingers, and he he, he meant to say B- people can't get into heaven because God hates mother- but but he 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 he's fine w- 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 with the Mercedes. We also tried to fix this unpredictability problem in other ways, like suburbia. Just cut down the trees and the wild things and standardize the houses, the driveways, the basketball hoops, and the labradoodle poops. It will all be the same. Nothing will ever change. But of course, things do change. People lose jobs, cars crash, teenagers get arrested for drugs, billionaires and politicians piss all over your future with a big old grin on their faces. And no matter how well you cut your grass or, or weed your garden or wash your car, the chaos always seeps back in. So now your gardener, and looks impeccable, but your daughter's knocked up. When I was little, I used to love fireflies, a.k.a. lightning bugs, a.k.a. asses a.k.a. the strippers of the insect world. We used to run around as kids chasing the fireflies at night, and then we'd catch a bunch, and we'd put them in a jar so that we could keep the magic, the beauty, forever. The following morning, the magic was all dead at the bottom of the jar. Life is change. The only way to embrace it, ironically, is to let it run wild, to let it go. But if that's too unpredictable for you, I have a tranquilizer gun in the trunk of my car. We could shoot it, gut it, and deep fry it for the holidays.
0: show to continue and continue to improve. Thanks so much for your
11: support.
3: Joining me is Kendall Sheets. He is an intellectual property attorney and also author of the book Book of Mormon, Book of Lies. Kendall, it's great to have you. Let's start with the case that you make in the book, which is that Mormon doctrine essentially has been plagiarized.
4: Yeah, David. What we found was, uh, we started an investigation 25 years ago when a couple of Mormon uh, missionaries showed up at our door and through an investigation of what uh, this Book of Mormon that they were talking about, we didn't know much about, we found that the terms, the words, and the stories had been copied from other sources, and the sources were old travel and history books. Uh, the primary source was one called Travels of Marco Polo, which most people are familiar with this. However, that was not the only one. They've also copied stories out of books about Arabia, books across the ocean by uh, Columbus, books from Mexico, and then... Uh, these books about uh, history of America. So how we found this out was there's words and names in Marco Polo, such as Sariah. And this comes out of, uh, uh, this is a name of Caesarea in Turkey. Well, this was what Joseph Smith and we believe his father used, for example, name of a mother in a character in the book. So Joseph Smith, what they did in 1830, they were well-known for becoming these things called gold diggers. And they said that they had found some gold plates underground. And these gold plates had these uh, magical characters on them. And they translated these in the Book of Mormon. Well, these characters, we found out, came actually from an old drawing in one of these books. And they were pagan runic symbols. Now, this has not been exposed, this has not been known since 1830. So we were the first ones, basically, in history... To find out where this book came from.
3: Yeah, it's incredible because when you, if you were just to casually mention to someone, you know, yeah. tons of the Book of Mormon is almost identical to stuff in the travels of Marco Polo. The average person, myself included, would say, well, there's got to be some kind of explanation. And I went into this book pretty skeptical. But when you look at it, I mean, there are passages that are, that are really almost identical. And it, it's very odd because why would the Book of Mormon, presumably the word of the Mormon god which came from the gold plates, as read by Joseph Smith, why would it match up identically? With what's what's essentially in a travel log, it just doesn't make any sense. But it is there in, in black and white. It's there in black and white, and the this is a genius.
4: So I call it an ingenious fraud. It's it's the implications uh, are tremendous. But the uh, when you look at the black and white, when you look at the passages. This Book of Mormon is not actually... uh, It's got a lot of religious content in it. And a lot of that comes out of the Bible. And I've actually gone through and shown where they've copied many passages out of the King James Bible. But what the unique part of it is, and what the Mormon church claims is is the uh, unique thing that Joseph Smith wrote, are all these detailed stories of this Jewish family led by this man named Lehi. And he claimed that they came across from Jerusalem. Well, what happened was they copied... The travels coming from Jerusalem going down the coast of the Red Sea out of this book, Modern Traveler, uh, about Arabia from 1826. This is an 1818 Marco Polo book. This is the original copy published in England. What they took was books. This is published in 1818. What they did was they took a collection of books from overseas, most of them published in England, some of them published in Philadelphia, and they went line by line methodically through these and copied the passages in black and white, like you said.
3: So before before we get into the, the, the modern political thing, there's another thing I want to touch on there, which is when we talk about Joseph Smith, go a little bit into his background, because he had a background of being essentially a con man, did he not?
4: That is absolutely correct. He had a reputation. He and his father actually started this con, and it was a common thing back in the early 1800s. You can research in old newspapers, which I've done in my book. They claimed to be able to see in the spirit world or see underground and find gold treasure. This is where we get the term gold digger from. And they would con these farmers out of money saying, oh, we see gold treasure buried under your property. Let's go dig for it. And they would dig up holes all over the country, and it was just ridiculous. So that, and he, and he became, he had a reputation of being very good at this, a very good storyteller. He, he used that story set to claim to see a vision of this angel Moroni in his bedroom that led him to these treasure of underground gold plates. So he had already developed a reputation around the, the area of being able to actually see treasure. And this is where he, he parlayed that into then in claiming to find a religious scripture
3: it's funny because I I, I I don't know that i don't know if this is an offensive comparison to make or not i don't really know, but what strikes me as interesting is that he was kind of laying the groundwork to what later would kind of be the the founding of this religion in the same way that l ron Hubbard with Scientology said you can make a lot of money if you start a religion and then that's essentially exactly what he did it was almost kind of saying this is what I'm going to do
4: that is exactly what happened the we have traced that they had seen back then that they thought, uh, these preachers that were coming through the country were basically con men and they would, they would get people to give offerings and they didn't have to work and the Smiths were desperately poor. They came up with this idea that, hey, we can make money coming up with the religion just like all these other people have, just like Ron, you know, Ron Hubbard did. And and cash in on it. Of
3: course, they didn't refer to L. Ron Hubbard since that came later on. But as an Absolutely. example, yeah, I understand.
4: As an example, as an example that that I think that that fits. We have traced through uh, uh, the the Prophet Smith's mother uh, actually wrote her own book, and I have also deciphered that in the same way I deciphered Marco Polo, and she sort of gave an exposé of what the family did towards the end of her life. And this is kind of the. Uh, Prize ending to my book. And she has basically admitted that, yes, it was for profit. This was to get them out of poverty. And after they created their church in 1830, they started getting a lot of membership in a few years. Joseph Smith actually had a revelation that says he shouldn't have to work. He should be a full-time minister. Right. And everyone should give offerings. And another revelation came that they need to build a house for his father. So you can see where this is going.
3: You, you certainly uh, can. It's pretty well written yeah. out. Hey, Kendall, in the le- we have very limited time left, and I wanted to touch right. on the political thing. But give me a sense of, are you surprised that Mitt Romney's Mormon religion was not more of a factor during the, the 2012 presidential election?
4: I personally was very surprised. I, But I think the uh, there were some media that tried, I know NBC, uh, HuffPost, there was others that tried to write some articles about it. I think it was the unknown factor. It was it was two things. It was the Republicans pushing this candidate. And so people kind of blindly went with whatever, you know, the party vote's going to be.
3: Right, evangelical so, voters who previously thought Mormonism was a cult just kind of blindly accepted Romney.
4: They blindly accepted Romney and after uh, they got some of the evangelical uh, high-profile evangelical preachers to then turn around and endorse Romney, I think that was it. So but I think it was the education factor. People don't really understand. Of course, no one knew about this. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't finish my book uh, uh, early enough. Right. But <laughs> I, I, I tried very hard. Uh, I've been working on this book for, we've been working on it for 25 years. So it, it was a long time of making. But the, uh, the factor uh, of, I was actually interviewed on Fox uh, Radio and they asked me the same question. But why women were turning, women especially were turning towards Romney. I think that the uh, like I said I think they just don't know. And they asked me why why are uh, Romney's views the way they are. I said we well, need to dig into his beliefs, his background. His background is sexism in the church. Right. Uh, very divided. It's it's homophobic in the church. They they excommunicate uh, uh, intellectuals who, who are who are uh, who are who are gay or lesbian. They, uh, they don't like intellectuals saying anything bad about the church. And so the the church, it does a very effective job suppressing any, uh, anyone coming against them internally. And this doesn't let the, the word get out that, hey, this is actually what they're like. Uh, so I, I think it was, it was a combination of these things. That's why, uh, people weren't aware. They didn't wake up. And I told everyone I knew. I was trying to wake everyone up, but.
3: Interesting. uh, yeah. All right, the book is Book of Mormon, Book of Lies. We've been speaking with Kendall Sheets. Check out the book. Uh Kendall, great to have you on. Thanks for being here.
6: I must trust that my Lord is mightier and always has my back. Now I must be completely devout. I can't have even one shred of doubt. I believe that the Lord God created the universe. I believe set his only son to die for my sins. And I believe that ancient Jews built boats and sailed to America. I am a Mormon and a Mormon trust-
11: A small but fanatical right-wing Christian movement was given the national spotlight yet again today by the American media, scaring the crap out of a sadly beaten mainstream middle class. According to analyst Deborah Harston, the worst is still to come.
9: Sources close to the group have leaked information to the major networks about a forthcoming plan to create Satan 2. They say they are still working out the visuals.
11: Satan 2, eh? Well, by next fall, we'll be screaming for a piece of that. Meanwhile, back in hell, Satan 1 is busier than ever with a massive construction project intended to double his dominion's infinite square footage. The Lord of Darkness denies plans to, quote, flip this hell and move to Nova Scotia when Satan 2 arrives in January of
2: 2013.
12: Well,
13: and it's, so that, that
12: makes sense.
13: I don't. I don't disagree with that. So where, you know, how can you have? Well, let's let's posit for a moment that your your hypothesis is correct that that the that somehow a conspiracy has been hatched in New well, York God. and, no, and that's Hollywood. Like,
12: that's, I don't think it's a conspiracy. A conspiracy implies. Uh, you know a group of people small, getting together in a room right. i think it's it's more uh i mean what we encounter is uh, uh you know mass media group think whether it's the entertainment media or the news media they they basically think the same. Right. And and we see the results of it. This is how we know it's going on. We see the results of it: the decline, uh, the numbers of people who go to church, the, the decline in numbers of people who believe in God. Uh, so, well, you know, let me let me just decades of that.
13: Maybe that's because uh, churches are not uh, you know meeting the needs of their flocks. I mean, it's a I, I can you know speaking as somebody who and I don't know how you know how much I want to personalize this, but. Or how you know? Frankly, I mean, uh, one of, uh, I think one of the most important injunctions in the Sermon on the Mount was, "Don't pray in public." In other words, don't be public about your religion. But I will say, I pray every day, literally, and and it's an important part of my life. And it's been years since I've stepped into a church. That now, am I religious or not?
12: I'd certainly say you're religious. Are you part of an organized religion? Probably not. I'm actually Uh, I'm actually
13: a member of an. I'm 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 actually a member that tithes to an organized religion. Yes. Okay.
12: Well, good. Uh, But the point is, you know, we know for a fact. I mean, you get advertisers on your show, and people pay good money to be on the Tom. But but wait a second,
6: here, Dan.
13: Let's just you know, I I, you know, I've I've made this kind of public confession, I suppose. Um, Let's take it to the next step. How does my watching a show that ridicules somebody's religious faith. And and I think that you have to put some huge quotes around that because, you know, I will make fun of people who say that the world is 6,000 years old and we need to teach that in our schools rather than teaching evolution because I'm concerned that that's going to really set us back you know, in the science race, is uh, you know, for example, or I would ridicule somebody who says that their religious faith says that you know women should be subordinate to men because it's in a book from you know that reflects the values of the Bronze Age. Um, you you uh, you just called me religious, and yet now my having said that, you may say I'm anti-religious. I mean, no, I think you. Where you're, where does this war begin and end, and and why does it matter?
12: I mean, why does it matter? You know, because I mean, theoretically we have freedom of religion, which means, you know, and then what you have is a mass media that are... We have freedom from actively.
13: religion, too.
12: What was, no, we don't.
13: No no freedom the the, the, the freedom first freedom the, the first amendment and the and the establishment clause of the constitution both really are more freedom from religion than of religion they are freedom from, freedom from freedom the government picking a religion for to, all of us you
12: think it says,
13: and it says from you know. imposing a religious test on people who are holding office that's freedom from religion
12: no that's freedom from a specific religion not you know, they, they, I remember the founders had come from Britain, you know, where you had one state sponsor. It didn't mean that you should expunge religion from the public square, which is what the left and the media basically are pushing toward.
13: Wait a minute. Uh, Are are you familiar with the history of the Pilgrims and 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 you know of uh, oh what's his name in England who who ran the country for as I recall seven years and 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 Cromwell and finally got kicked out. I mean when the Puritans took over England and overthrew the king, and outlawed dancing and singing and public drinking and all kinds of other things uh the people finally said we want the king back and those and started and started uh, you know openly dissing the puritans and the puritans got on a boat and came over here and set up shop you know in, in massachusetts now, this was after, of course, Jamestown. I mean, the first colony in America was economic. It was started by the East India Company. But the second colony in the United States, the, the Plymouth Rock Colony, was started by people who wanted to have the freedom to oppress women, to burn to burn witches, burn witches. To, to, to require you to go to church every Sunday, you'd be dragged out of your house. We're
12: pushing other religious, religious rights, and we are an amalgam of all those things. Uh, but to say say that the Constitution no, but my point is that, that it says that, that,
13: that the is, founders knew that. I mean, Massachusetts there were large chunks of Massachusetts in 1787 when the Constitution was being written. One of the reasons it was written in Philadelphia, by the way, was because that was neutral territory. Uh, you know, Philadelphia was was uh, uh, or Pennsylvania was more of a Quaker state than anything else. And and uh, it was uh, also
12: that between north and south, it was also convenient. I mean, there well, was, but a lot, you know,
13: you could have said the same too. thing about New York City, and uh, but you know, they didn't choose to do it there. But but the point is that they did definitely didn't want to do it in Massachusetts because it was still a theocratic state to a large extent and and you know the Massachusetts the delegation was, was very upset about there the establishment were, clause.
12: There were, you know strictures and your know, competition between the colonies north and south by landing somewhere in the mid Atlantic which they did they kind of you know minimized those divisions
13: I, I mean but to go back to I, they didn't minimize them all, at all point. Dan freedom from religion won. No, freedom of religion is freedom of religion one. It's in Both of them one
2: So you take the left, I'll take the right. Take my time and build this life by my own design A new no direction and it's in between Everything I love and everything I need So bring it back
8: Several months ago, we ran a story in The Progressive by Annie Laurie Gaylor of the Freedom from Religion Foundation about how the Army was imposing spirituality tests on its recruits. Those who scored low on the test were encouraged to seek out a chaplain. When Gaylor asked the Army about its policy, they said that soldiers were free to decline to participate in what it called spiritual fitness training. But that word evidently hasn't filtered down to West Point. A senior there, Blake Page, just quit West Point to publicly protest its religious indoctrination. Page said that officers at West Point engaged in unconstitutional proselytizing, discriminated against the non-religious, and established formal policies to reward, encourage, and even at times require sectarian religious participation. For example, he said there was mandatory prayer and that cadets got extra points for taking part in religious retreats. Page was the founder and president of the West Point Secular Student Alliance and the director of the Military Religious Freedom Foundation at West Point. Now you might think, well, what did he expect when he founded such groups? The military isn't the most hospitable place for atheists. But that's the point. It should be as hospitable to them as it is to believers. We're supposed to have separation of church and state, and that means separation of church and army, too. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it.
14: check out this apparently um what's his name perkins tony perkins tony
3: perkins
14: of the uh what is he from american family family
3: Family research family
14: family family is the organization i think or they call it the family research council and uh group has family in their name you know they're up to no good no yeah Family, family, family. And um, this guy's a, a right-winger. Uh, this is coming on the heels of James Dobson, basically telling his radio audience, incidentally, terrestrial radio, that's where it's all going. It's either going to be, um, you know, I think you get sports, uh, maybe some Spanish radio, and then just, like right, the rest of it's just going to be the, the God Squad. Um, and so uh, jo- Dobson complained the other day that you know he lost his thirty five year old battle to save america. of course i 'm sure he will rebound when he sends out his next um, his next fundraising email. But Meanwhile, Tony Perkins gets on, and I know for years and years you 've been hearing the stories, uh, particularly in the Air Force, about how uh, virulently you have evang- uh, van- evangelicals trying to convert their fellow Air Force members. Uh, so much so that uh, a guy named Mikey Weisenberg, I think it was, had to like sue because he was feeling uncomfortable being in the Air Force as a Jew. Um, I know you've heard these stories about how um, you know uh, all this uh, Christian literature was was spread throughout the military. That guy uh, Boykin, I think his name was saying that our God is better than your God in terms of uh attacking the the uh Muslim world in a non war against Muslims. Uh, but here is Tony Perkins bemoaning the fact that there is this insidious, strange, new type of black magic that is being imposed on the military. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you're sitting down, because if you hear this, it could be that the words that he uses even could burn your ears. This new black magic. Let's listen to Tony Perkins.
11: In the military, it's out with God and in with the goofy. Hello, I'm Tony Perkins with the Family Research Council in Washington. As part of some new training, Marines are being asked to join weekly yoga and meditation classes. Sergeant Nathan Hampton said the idea took some getting used to. Quote, why are we sitting around a classroom doing weird meditative stuff, he wondered. Former Army Captain Elizabeth Stanley says it's to relieve stress. She's the one behind M-Fit, or Mind Fitness Training. She insists the New Age approach, quote, creates a sense of calmness reduces drug and alcohol use, increases productivity, and improves working relationships. What a coincidence. So does faith. Unfortunately, the military seems intent on driving religion out and replacing it with wacky substitutes. They've added atheist chaplains, Wiccan worship centers, and now meditation classes. But none of them are as effective or as constructive as a personal relationship with God. Unfortunately, though, it's mind over what matters, and that's faith. Yoga is coming to
14: eat you. This is, I mean, they do this on football teams. They don't, I mean, it's like, this is not like some new, this new fangled meditation thing. And yoga? Can't we just all have a personal relationship with Jesus? And that's the way we'll become more flexible? And, calm uh, just, you know, FYI, if you Google anything about meditation or yoga, you will find that it actually does have benefits. Um, UCLA researchers found that meditating thickens the brain in a good way and strengthens the connections between brain cells. Now they found that long-term uh, meditators have a larger amount of gyrification, <laughs> whatever that weird word is which is apparently a folding of the cortex which may allow the brain to process information faster. (laughs) You know who could also process information faster? Jesus. (laughs) Further, a direct correlation was found between the amount of gyrification and the number of meditation years, possibly providing... That sounds wacky. Wacky. Well, of course, that comes out of California, that new state. Well, sorry, Tony Perkins. Namaste. (laughs)
0: The mission of this show is to aggregate and amplify the best voices of the truly liberal media, and now you can play a critical role in helping fulfill that mission. I pick out the best clips I hear to share with you, and now you can do just the same thing extremely easily. Now available at bestoftheleft.com, each clip I play is made available individually with simple buttons that allow you to share your favorites on your networks through Facebook, Twitter, by email, and beyond. By myself, I can amplify this content to thousands of people, but collectively, we have the potential to reach millions. No kidding. Become your own media activist by taking one minute to share your favorite content a couple of days each week. Help more people plug into the truly liberal media and be an integral part of this extremely virtuous cycle. Thanks so much for your help.
3: Also irresponsible comments coming from Mike Huckabee and Brian Fisher. Almost the same comments from both. Mike Huckabee said that the, uh, this, Neil Cavuto asked him on Fox News, well, why didn't God stop the shooter? And Mike Huckabee said, how could you expect God to get involved when he's been kicked out of schools, essentially? Take a listen to this. This is really despicable. Apparently people ask after tragedies like this,
12: "Um, how could God let this happen? Well, you know, it's an interesting thing. Uh, we, we ask why there's violence in our schools, but we've systematically removed God from our schools. Hmm. Should we be so surprised that schools would become a place of carnage because we've made it a place where we don't want to uh, talk about eternity, life, what, what responsibility means, accountability, that we're not just going to have to be accountable to the police if they catch us, but one day we stand before uh, you know, a holy God in judgment.
3: Right. The reason that these shootings are happening are because we've somehow kicked God out of schools. Now, again, yeah, clearly, na- if there were
7: a cross in one of these classrooms, the shooter would have been like, "Oh, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't
3: do this. Uh, I want to be able to go to heaven. You know, I'm just going to get out of here." That's the thing. Not only is the, is it absurd, but it's also not true because just because there isn't prayer time in school, it doesn't mean that there's any ban on individual students bringing a Bible to school if that's what their parents want them to do. it's this this is just it's unbelievable and Brian Fisher saying something pretty similar again saying God didn't go to that school because he's a gentleman and he doesn't go where he's not wanted essentially the same thing here
12: you know the question is going to come up where was God I thought God cared about the little children God God protected the little children where was God when all this went down yeah and here's the bottom line God is not going to go where he's not wanted now we have spent since 1962 this we're 50 years into this now. We have spent 50 years telling God to get lost, telling God we do not want you in our schools. We don't. Again, want
3: so same idea as Mike Huckabee here. Incredible the parallels between an, uh, a Republican ex-governor and one of the most extreme anti-gay voices in this country. This is uh, Fox News really should be pulling. Mike Huckabee off the air here I mean even Rupert Murdoch himself tweeted we need a ban on assault weapons uh, but it's probably not gonna happen and somehow this is considered some kind of legitimate discussion in this country
7: yeah it's ridiculous the implication that without a Bible there's no morality right. or anything of the sort uh, I, I don't think a little fictional novel is that powerful sorry
3: and the other thing is we have to say this Lewis, we have to say this if God in schools would have prevented the shootings why hasn't God prevented all of the child molestation cases in churches? Right, because presumably God is in those churches where all those kids are being molested. I, I don't know. It's it's confusing. I just don't understand it. Yeah,
7: I'm I'm seeing uh, no traces of God anywhere. If you ask me.
3: Okay, what what do you think is the best thing, of the thing about the show that is best and most appealing to, to somebody who listens or watches? Because we cover everything and we do it well. <laughs> Why do you think people watch the show? I think that it's a completely different angle. I don't think it's about being expansive or up-to-date. I think it's 99% of media that's out there is giving one story, it's giving a particular point of view, and it's also not covering certain stories. So I don't know that it's about being up-to-date or expansive. I think it's it's a well, non- Well, that's what I said. We cover everything. Well, we don't cover everything, Lewis. How can we cover everything? We cover 8 to 10 stories. Everything important, pretty much. Well, if that doesn't make you curious, I don't know what will. Check out The David Pakman Show at DavidPacman.com.
9: 31-year-old woman in Ireland uh, died after she had a miscarriage and doctors refused to terminate the pregnancy. Uh, When she was about 17 weeks pregnant, she went into the hospital and complained about severe back pain, and the doctors realized that she was miscarrying. So she started asking them uh, for an abortion because the pain was excruciating. However, uh, the fetus allegedly still had a heartbeat, and uh, the doctors told her that they would not uh, abort because they only abort in cases where the woman's life is in danger. Um, so they, they denied her the abortion. Uh, a few days later, uh, she died from something known as uh, septicemia, and uh, it was an E. coli uh, infection that she had. And, you know, she... Left behind a husband, and they're devastated. And the fact that doctors denied her this abortion it is just ridiculous. It's ludicrous.
1: Yeah, and this is the problem when we make decisions like this uh, that are not based on, on logic or reason or even honestly, humanity. I mean, people say. They do this for morality. Is this morality? Is this moral? This is the most immoral thing I've ever heard. Doctors saying that they won't operate when she obviously needed it. She was vomiting throughout the whole day. She was in extreme pain. Obviously, there was something incredibly pain wrong. In fact, in the beginning, she wanted to keep the baby, right? Of course, of course. But then by the end, the baby wasn't going to survive anyway.
9: She asked for an abortion multiple times. I mean, she was desperate. At one point, um, she was fully dilated. Um, and and the, the miscarriage, she was in the process of having a miscarriage, and she asked for them to, you know, abort, you know, get get this out of my body. Um, and, and the doctors told her it will only take a few minutes, just you know, just wait it out. Um, and she was, you know, leaking amniotic fluid. It was, I mean, she was in horrible condition, and they still denied what she had asked for. And uh, her husband says that doctors told her, um, I'm sorry, the doctor said that you know, this is a Catholic hospital's. And, and that's what the law is. In Ireland, that's the law. Yeah. Um, and uh, the husband says, I am neither Irish nor Catholic, but they said there was nothing they could do.
1: So, so that's exactly what's wrong with this. Why are you putting your morality on me? If they did this to my wife, I would be furious. I'm furious, and it isn't my wife. Uh, why do I have to listen to your insane rules from your religious text when I'm not even that religion? Well, how can you have your religion rule us all? That's what Saudi Arabia would do. For Western democracies to still believe in that is just... It's barbarism when you see the actual effects of it.
9: You know, oftentimes when we talk about extremism, we talk about countries in the Middle East, but when you look at some of the laws that Ireland has when it comes to contraception and when it comes to uh, abortion, you realize just how religious they really are. For instance, it wasn't until 1985 that Ireland allowed uh, people over the age of 18 to purchase condoms without a prescription. In fact, condoms were banned completely until about 1970. Um, so and and recently, well, relatively recently, in 2005, three women uh, filed a lawsuit against Ireland because they had to travel out of the country to receive an abortion.
1: So understand, because that sounds really confusing. Are they supposed to give the abortion or are they not? If the life is in danger, as it was in this case that we started talking about, well, that's the problem. According to their constitution, abortion is flat out illegal. But in 1992, a Supreme Court ruled that. It could be legalized for a situation when the woman's life is at risk if you continue the pregnancy. The problem is nobody knows how to interpret that. That's, for, that's conflicting, and so some hospitals say, "Well, no, we're not going to do the abortion no matter what." Some hospitals do. That's no way to run a country.
9: And that not only is that no way to run a country, that goes completely against your pro-life stance because women are dying as a result of you refusing to terminate. A pregnancy, you know, a a, a fetus that is not viable, right? A fetus that isn't even going to survive. You know, like in this case, they know that she is going through a miscarriage. So you're not saving anyone's life in this situation. But in this case, I think the doctors were so afraid of breaking the law that they decided to play it safe and just not do anything about it.
1: I'm going to go further. I think uh, fundamentalist religious people that take it to this kind of extreme are the most immoral people. Uh, in the world. And so it's not like, oh, hey, religion, eh, it's morality, or, or they're just the same as everybody else. No, no, no. They're not the same as everybody else. When you take stupid laws that don't make any sense, that aren't even in your Bible, it doesn't even say you shouldn't have an abortion in your Bible, and then you apply it to everybody, whether they are in your religion or they're not in your religion, whether they agree or they don't agree, and then some people die because of it, that's as immoral an act as you could possibly do. And why? Because no, no, no. Some Emperor Constantine 1600 years ago made a political document that he said Jesus might have or Jesus's friends might have said 400 years before. That. This is so stupid. How dare you? How dare you let her die like that? And now we have these Neanderthals in America that want to take us back to these dark ages. Thousands of bills across the country trying to walk back uh reproductive rights. I can't believe we're having this conversation and so many states they're winning it I'm so sick of people's religion man I'm so sick of it and constantly no, you have to do my religion you have to do my religion fuck off why do I have to do your religion I don't I don't believe your religion I don't believe it get it through your thick skull I don't give a shit about it I don't care if it's fundamentalist Christianity fundamentalist Islam fundamentalist anything it's voodoo! I don't give a shit! You're not going to ru- run my life based on your dumbass beliefs. If you come with logic and reason, and we have a conversation about, Hey, okay, here's a reasonable uh, basis for this law. Okay, fine, then we we'll talk about it. But if you come to me, my sky god, I think, 2,000 years ago, told a fucking bush, and he talked to fucking Moses... And then he said, well, there is a seed in your body. And I then some dumbass pope interpreted that 1,500 years ago as saying, hey, maybe you shouldn't do this or that. And hence, I'm going to let your wife die. Fuck you! Fundamentalist bullshit.
5: Hi jay Chris again calling from Australia from down under um hey good good shows again too and um just calling in in regards to episode six seventy nine you had a caller that uh had called in and and was um uh, saying how good he wade was and, and what he was saying and, and I completely agree good on Wade for giving us that perspective and doing it so uh, uh so well and um uh, giving us that other side uh, but the thing that really got me was uh, the caller mentioned that we do need a a right wing and a left wing for that eagle to fly unfortunately for america the tail is the one steering it and that happens to be uh big business and and so just wanted to let you know that jay that's about my thoughts and we'll talk to you again take care hey jay what's going on this is Chris from Colorado Springs. Hey, man, um, your podcast today with all the, the women's issues was really powerful. It was really moving. I listened to all my work, and I was really kind of blown away by the uh, the breadth of the, the stories covered. And quite honestly, just with the shock with some of the things that some people say and the misogyny that seems to be so rooted, you know, around. And, and to your last point that you made, I think you were right on about people making the victim somehow culpable for what happens and you know i also listened to some other news outlets and i'm hearing about what what happened in india to that poor young woman on that bus and these things that 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 happen outside of, of our country and you know like you you talked about that that country in africa the monarchy that put that that law in place and how i think we as americans at least some some people in the media um, and, and certainly the way some people think they like to think of this as a problem that is a, is somewhere else that's not something that we experience here in America and I really appreciate how you brought in our, our own domestic outlets that, that feed into this and, and one point that I just kept thinking about when I hear people make this oh well she shouldn't be wearing that kind of thing that, that argument it makes it insults me as a man like, like, okay, am I such a base creature? Seriously, that just because uh, an attractive woman happens to be wearing something that that all moral fiber, all all moral compass, just gets tossed aside simply because I see some woman wearing something? It, it's it's ridiculous. It not only is it insulting to the victim, it's insulting to it should be insulting to all men who who could be p- potential perpetrators. Of course, I'm speaking in generalizations. I know that that men get assaulted as well. I'm just saying that, that. Come on, am I really just? Do I only really think with that one head when it comes to all of this? It, it's just. It's so. It's so crazy, and then your your point got me thinking. What is it that makes us want to side with the perpetrator and, and somehow blame the woman? I, I I don't know. When I listen to this, it sounds foreign to me absolutely foreign. I have no idea where this idea comes from. And I don't mean foreign like as in like from another country. I mean foreign as in alien, alien to me. I don't understand. Maybe it's because I was raised by three women, but then again, I'm a former Marine. I was I was very much engulfed in a, in a masculine culture. But at the same time, my the idea of respect for women seems to be ingrained in my fiber. And I, I hope... I hope, if anything, if any listening to those teenagers chuckle about what happened to that girl made me think about my son and what kind of behavior I model for him. I I hope that this respect, automatic and mutual respect for women as equal creatures, is just something that that at least my son's generation, they don't even have to grapple with. Because it should just be natural. We're all begotten of women anyway. I'm just rambling now, Jay, but it really moves me this episode, and I just, I'm tired of being insulted, like, being a man somehow makes me an automatic predator, and all a woman has to do is wear a certain kind of perfume or wear a miniskirt, and now all of a sudden I'm gonna, I'm gonna attack her, and it's her fault. Damn it. Anyhow, keep doing what you're doing, Jay, I appreciate it. Love the show.
15: Hey Jay, this is Joe calling from Rhode Island. Uh, I've uh, been listening for about two years the First time calling So I want to talk about uh, Comment on uh, your talk about victim blaming I like what you said I'd like to add to it I've heard a lot of talk about victim blaming and Our victim blaming culture that we live in Not just on your show People blame the victim for not standing up for himself Or for wearing Or for wearing enticing clothing Or, or whatever It's horrible and wrong and I'd like to pose a possible explanation for it. Uh, I've recently read a, a great book called You Are Not So Smart by David McGraney. And it has me looking at our thought processes differently. So my explanation is really my interpretation of David McGraney's explanation. Also, uh, I saw a good video from David Pakman just last night. Uh, in which he tried to explain uh, why some people want to think that San- this Sandy Brook shooting was a hoax. I think it's kind of related- relatable. Anyway, when people blame the victim, what they're doing is trying to give themselves a reason why this terrible thing could never happen to them. They want to believe that the world is a logical place, that bad things only happen to bad people. They want to believe that if they... If they never put themselves in risky situations, they can remain safe. Of course, that's not true, but it's something that we want to think to let let us sleep at night, instead of laying in bed terrified of all the horrible and scary things that can happen to any one of us at any time. We want to believe that we have control over our own safety. We also don't want to think that bad things happen to good people. I think it's a natural urge that we as civilized humans need to be aware of and fight against. It's natural to want to reduce the anxiety we feel about horrible things happening in the world, but we need to find better ways of reducing that anxiety. We have to stop blaming the victim, because at any moment, that victim could be us. Thanks again, Jay. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or an activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. Uh, so I thought that Joe from Rhode Island really just nailed it on his first ever call into the show, uh, talking about how uh, victim blaming is very much connected to one's desire to feel like they have control over their own safety. Uh, I thought that was great. Uh, you know, Another caller actually called in, made a very similar point, but his phone connection was much, much worse. But he, he referred to part of that idea as the just world bias, that, that desire to feel like the world is just and to think, well, you know, if, if this happened, then there must have been a reason for it. Please let there be a reason for it. Uh, so, so, yeah, I just I thought those were great. You know, one thing you might have uh, noticed the conspicuous absence of any female voices talking about v- female victim blaming. And the only reason for that is that absolutely zero women called in to uh, chat on the subject. So if you would like to correct that, please do call in. I, I would absolutely love to hear from some women who want to uh, touch base on this subject. But I also want to throw in one uh, additional element to this discussion because I, I had a really interesting, like, long meandering discussion with my girlfriend. Uh, you know, first on gun violence, which led to video games, and do video games have an impact on, uh, you know, society and, and, you know, sort of the, the consciousness of the people who play those games and and then gun violence in video games led to regular violence and violence against women in video games and of course the classic example is from the Grand Theft Auto games where you can you know sleep with prostitutes and then kill them and take their money and you know I mean you can essentially kill anyone in in the game so my girlfriend posed the idea you know what if we banned games from being able to commit violence against women in that way you know so I, like i had to sort of wrap my mind around the idea and, and where that idea was coming from for a few minutes before i really grasped it but then it it made me remember something not exactly similar but distantly parallel that i talked about on the show quite a long time ago now probably a year ago now and it's the idea that you know men can be portrayed As absolute, you know, oafs and slovenly and and all those sorts of things. You know, the Homer Simpson character, they can be portrayed that way on television without having any negative repercussions on, you know, the male gender. You know, no, no one thinks that all men are oafs because they are often portrayed that way in the media. Whereas women, the way they're portrayed in the media actually does have an impact. On how they're perceived in reality, totally unfair and unjust as it is, that, that does tend to be the case. And so that being the case, it makes sense for women to be more sensitive to how uh, women are portrayed in the media compared to men's sensitivity to how men are portrayed in the media. So similarly, it makes sense considering, you know, women being the victims of Violent crime and, and sexual assaults and all of those uh, sorts of things much more often makes sense to be more sensitive about how women are treated in uh, video games and other places where violence is being committed against them. Obviously, much more than men should be concerned about how you know men are able to be killed in video games, that sort of thing. So, you know, that that's the, the question. I don't. I don't think anyone would say that you know banning uh, violence against women in a video game is like the answer. But could it be you know one tiny piece of uh, the giant puzzle that leads us towards an answer to you know trying to bridge the the, the gender gap in in all the various ways. Especially this way in that, you know, how they are all too often, uh, sort of dehumanized almost to a point where, uh, you know, men can, you know, they, they get it in their heads that they can do whatever they want to them without repercussion as we sort of heard in the previous episode by the, you know, the teenagers referring to the, uh, young woman who'd been raped. So, anyways, just a few more uh, things to chew on. If you'd like to comment on the subject, the number again, 206-202-3410. That is going to be it for today, though. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to everyone who supports the show by becoming either a member or making one-time donations to the show. That is absolutely how the program survives. Everyone can support the show, of course, just by telling everyone you know about it and by spreading the word of individual clips that you particularly like through your social networks. All that can be done through the website. And stay tuned in between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook.
2: Bought a picture that wasn't right. Pitch burning on a shining sheet. The only maker that you wanna meet. A dying man in a living room. The shadow bases of will take you out in the open door. This is not my life. It's just a i